Mai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and to the podcast of this week's edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio. Imagine if where you lived there were no doctors, no medicines and no ambulance service. You're feeling unwell, but your young child is clearly very sick. Could you walk for the three days that it would take you to reach a place where you could get some medical treatment? An international charity is dedicated to turning that three-day walk into an 11-minute journey. We've got the story of their work in today's programme. And Richard Littledale is back asking, well, what happened next? But first, let's start with another hymn for the season of Harvest Thanksgiving that's being celebrated in churches and chapels around the island during this month. We plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land.
the London Fox Singers and the Harvest Hymn, We Plough the Fields and Scatter the Good Seed on the Land. Around the world, people living in isolated areas are cut off from the things that we take for granted, like healthcare, education and church. Mission Aviation Fellowship is a Christian charity operating around 130 light aircraft in around 30 of the world's poorest countries, bringing help, hope and healing to the most remote communities, turning that three-day walk that I mentioned at the start of the programme into an 11-minute flight in a Mission Aviation Fellowship plane. When disasters strike, Mission Aviation Fellowship provide humanitarian relief and deliver aid workers and food and medicine to hard-to-reach communities and they transport teachers and school supplies to inaccessible areas. Mission Aviation Fellowship works with people of all faiths and none, but show God's love through all the practical help and care that they can give. And now I'm happy to welcome their new Chief Executive Officer, Donovan Palmer, who visited the island a couple of days ago. As you'll hear, Donovan brings a wealth of experience gained from his work with Mercy Ships, another international charity operating floating hospitals that take health care to some of the world's poorest countries. Thank you, Judith. It's a pleasure to be on the program with you today. I'm actually uh, very new, just started in February. Before that, I was involved with Mercy Ships, another great charity. And uh, I worked with uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship from the other side of the table to fly patients. And so when I was uh, invited to consider working for uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship, I was very excited to go from ships to planes. Let's talk a little bit about the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship. Now, first of all, it was founded back in the 1940s, wasn't it? Yeah, it's a remarkable story, and the details get quite murky because it was very much a grassroots thing that after World War II, we had all these aviators around the world that had been trained to fly, and aviation was really becoming big in its own right for other purposes of commercial and and business applications. They said, what can we do with aviation for good? And so aviators here in the UK, simultaneously alongside aviators in the US with no connection to each other, said, let's do some good with aviation. And they eventually connected up with each other. They were even named differently at the time. And they eventually became the same name. And, and now that you see what you see today around the world of this network of organizations called Mission Aviation Fellowship. Maybe that's uh, an emphasis on the fellowship, that it is very, very much a grassroots element of people coming together around fellowship to do good using the power of aviation around the world. Now, to start that organization when flying was a fairly risky business, that was a bit of a leap of faith, wasn't it? They were pioneers. Jack Hemming and uh, Stuart King, who made the first flight, it was in 1947, from the UK down to Africa to do a survey mission. They didn't have accurate air charts. They had some maps that were made for other purposes, but they literally flew off the map. And on occasion, they were having to land in, on roads and places to find fuel because uh, they, they were going down into places with, uh, with small aircraft that really had not been mapped out to the degree that uh, we have today. So there was very much a risk to themselves. And, and, and the same in the United States, we're flying down to South America uh, with those aviators over there uh, literally flying off the map and, and landing in places we wouldn't even dream of landing now, but they were pioneers. But some people did actually pay with their life for their desire to do good, didn't they? 
I was inspired as a teen about the aviators in, I think it was around 1956 or 7, uh, in South American Ecuador. They landed on a beach of a river in Ecuador, and uh, the Indians turned out to be quite hostile and, and took the lives of a uh, pilot and his several passengers. And they were there very much to do good, to bring medicines and things to this group of people. But because of uh, this tribe being cut off, uh, they were not aware of the mission of these people. And so it was dangerous flying, literally into the unknown, but they wanted to do it anyway. Do you have any way of, of preserving links or evidence of what these people did, something people can see to realize what, what, where, where your origins are? Well, actually, the airframe of that aircraft that they flew in on, they thought it was lost. It was just nobody thought they'd ever find it again. But through a series of events, they eventually located it, were able to effectively excavate it because I think it had been taken down the river by the current uh, when the, the plane had been destroyed. And it's now on display in Idaho. If you go to the Mission Aviation Fellowship office there in the reception, there's kind of a an area that talks about the history of Mission Aviation Fellowship. And in the airframe of the plane, you can see the machete marks of the Indians that they left when they attacked the, the pilot and the plane. It's very inspirational because these were ordinary people. They're just aviators that just said, what can we do for good? One of my heroes is Betty Green. She became a pilot during this time. And even today, uh, you know, aviation can sometimes be very male-dominated. So you rewind the clock back to the 40s. It was even more unusual to find uh, female pilots. But she had it in her mind. She wanted to become a pilot. She qualified. And uh, not only did she want to become a pilot, but she wanted to get into this thing called mission aviation of doing good with aircraft. She was a pioneer of pioneers. And I think her story is just absolutely inspirational because she just said, I can do that. She stood against the odds and the circumstances. And her story stands today of, of the amazing things she achieved. Let's look at Mission Aviation Fellowship today. Do you have bases around the world or do you concentrate in, in particular areas? So we're in 23 nations around the world. We have about 130 aircraft, and uh, we're literally scattered around the world uh, from South America to Africa to uh, Asia Pacific. And uh, what we focus on is still to this day the most isolated parts of the world that, that you can't get access to easily. The aircraft we fly are light aircraft. Some people equate it to bush piloting. We're landing in places that others uh, generally won't fly to. In fact, we fly to more locations than the top five airlines combined. Now, I must hasten to add, they wouldn't go where we go, and there's no terminal there or coffee shop. But we land in these small airstrips, uh, taking medicines and doctors and nurses and educational supplies that otherwise would not get back into these locations. And, and, and it's very interesting. There's an amazing story in Papua New Guinea where a village was so motivated that we would start to fly there that they went out with hand tools and created an airstrip for us to land. And they, they literally carved it out of the ground with hand tools and used mosquito nets to haul dirt around. And they used whatever they had. And that provokes us as an organization that if someone will build an airstrip, will we come? You know, and, and we should come. That's how much these communities value the ability to have this kind of access to their community. That kind of story is very, very humbling. And I guess that the need will be different wherever you go. I mean, the bottom line is isolation destroys lives. And uh, we, we bump into heart-wrenching stories that uh, you just can't even imagine people living in these conditions. And it's simply because they were born there. They didn't choose to be there. 
And in many ways, they're trapped in, in some of these locations. There's just no opportunity for them to, to go anywhere if they don't have an education. And if they do so, somehow make their way to a major urban center, it's just they get lost in, in a whole morass of poverty and suffering. And so they're very much trapped and trapped from basic essentials. I, re, I remember a clinic that uh, worked with uh, people who had issues with their eyes. And uh, I, I came one day to see how the clinic was going. And there's these benches that we had patients on, twin boys. I could tell immediately they were blind. They could have had their eyesight saved by some simple antibiotics for the price of a meal out for fish and chips or something. I had fish and chips last night. It cost me 15, 16 quid. That's the cost of the medicine that would have been required to keep them from living a life in darkness. But when you see basic medicines that can't get to some of these locations, you know, this is just not acceptable. Do you rely on partner organizations on the ground to best direct what you do? We work with pretty much anyone who's passionate about what we're doing. Uh, we, we love partnership. So, for example, during COVID, we worked a lot with UNICEF to take in uh, supplies, vaccines, PPE, testing kits, and particularly focused on children in remote areas. And uh, that particular package of work that we did was in remote areas of Uganda. The materials to go to these places is, is what saves lives. And so we flew a lot of materials during COVID. When the rest of the world had stopped flying, our aircraft were still very much in the air. It's an expensive and complicated operation. How do you get your planes? How do you get your pilots? How does that work? So it's an interesting model because we are a charity. Our pilots are volunteers. In effect, they raise a lot of their sponsorship through friends and churches that love what they do. And we are very much supported by uh, communities, individuals. We do get some funding from government entities. We're a very grassroots organization. We're very easy to get involved with and very easy to connect to. And it's not just pilots and engineers who work on the planes. We need accountants. We need people who do mobilization and work with churches who raise prayer and awareness. And so it's a whole group of people and a, a very much a team effort, which still exists today in math. At the end, I will give your website so that people can take a look at what you're doing and see how they might like to get involved. But just now, I'd like to talk about you. You're obviously driven by a desire to serve. Tell me a little bit about what's brought you to this point. Yeah, it's interesting. In my faith, as I entered into teens, I really became very interested in helping people. I was in business studies and computer science, and I just was unsatisfied. But I was stirred in my heart to do something because I read the scriptures and I, I saw how Jesus was in communities with the poor and the widow and the orphans, and he had a heart for children and that sort of thing. I thought, this is very inspirational to me. I, I want to do something. So I, I left college and university and went off uh, to begin to see what I could do. Um, I didn't know what I could do. I kind of had this idea of uh, you know Christian missions. You put on a pith helmet and go into the jungle. But I learned very rapidly that there are a lot of things that I could use my interest in business and get involved in some pretty amazing things. So kind of a combination of faith and professionalism. Can we both be faith-filled and professional at the same time? And I love bringing those two things together. I don't think they're opposed to each other. That if you look at history, some of the great education centers, medical centers, science centers have been faith-inspired. People of praying and asking God to use their skills, their imaginations to create amazing things. And so that's really what drew me into Mercy Ships and now MAF, you know, praying to God, would you use my skills to do good? 
it's by what we do that people will see the sincerity of our belief. Otherwise, it's just words. We have to witness through the way we live and the way we do our job, whatever that job might be. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that out because people are saying we need to show a demonstration of what it means, live it out and give to people and meet very real needs using a high level of, of faith and professionalism and, and very much uh, motivated by our love for following Jesus. Really, when you look at the sustainable development goals, these places in the world will be the last that these good things will happen. We had the tools, we had the resources, we had the motivation to get it done. And that's what Mission Aviation Fellowship does with whoever wants to join in and jump in on this in this sort of endeavor. One of the things that we're very well aware of is uh, the situations in Africa that are just not getting much airtime uh, right now. And places like South Sudan and Chad, the humanitarian crisis has increasingly got worse this year. And uh, maybe it's a function even of church at times to look at what else is not being done. And so even in this last week, we've been talking to partners about what can we do to step into some of this. We have to keep the whole picture in mind. And I think the church is well suited because we love to pray. We love to hear what's going on around the world and have that perspective. It's something that I think that church can do. We, we tend to sometimes look where the rest of the world is not always looking and ask, okay, God, what do we put in our hands to do with our skills? with uh, whatever money we have and our prayers to do something to live out what we believe. We love the support that we get from the Isle of Man. The Isle of Man is a special place for MAF, and we just have a collection of friends here. It's been my pleasure to come here, and you know, I have, now have a very long list of friends of MAF that I really need to try to get around and see in the days to come. So it's been a pleasure to be on the program with you. Thank you, Donovan Palmer, CEO of the international charity Mission Aviation Fellowship. And if you'd like to know more, they'd have a website, maf-uk.org. And now it's time for another episode in our occasional series called simply, What Happened Next? During his short time on earth, Jesus showed the depth of God's loving care for us through the stories he told and the miracles he worked healing those who were sick and raising people from the dead. All of them, in some way, are calls to us to follow Jesus and find the fullness of everlasting life. 
and we can find all the stories and all the miracles recorded in the Bible. But for writer and Baptist minister Richard Littledale, those Bible stories have really just set him thinking. What happened next? Today, Richard's thinking about the time when Jesus fed 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes. This is how the story is told in chapter 14 of the Gospel according to St. Matthew. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about five thousand men, besides women and children. So five thousand people were fed, and we're told that the leftovers filled twelve baskets. And that's where Matthew's account of the miracle ends. But what happened next? What happened to those twelve baskets? Richard Littledale is sure that the uneaten food wasn't wasted. The Lord is present here. The Lord is present here. The Lord is present here. Come worship. The Lord is... It was just a small village, so news travelled fast. On this occasion, it didn't need to, though, since the news was everywhere at once. If you had walked into the village that night, it was the smell which would have struck you first. Smoking fish, broiling fish, steaming fish, and everything in between. After that, you would have heard the sound as if every household had decided to hold a street party on the spur of the moment. There were children squealing with glee as they ran from house to house and occasional eruptions of laughter as old men shared jokes shared a hundred times before which somehow seemed funnier tonight. The tables were full even as the evening wore on and nobody seemed in a mood to leave the pool of lamplight around each one and head indoors. Of course, you could not have stood and watched for long. One and then another and another still would have called you over, shuffled up to make space for the stranger and plied you with bread and fish. Households would have vied to offer you their patent recipe, hoping that their particular herbs would please you the most, but happy just that you were joining in. Soon, between mouthfuls, you would have asked what this was all about, and the conversation would have quietly ebbed away, as every head turned to the village elder. Putting down his bread and simple cup of rough country wine, he would have explained about the blessing on their doorsteps. 
as evening had fallen and a crowd who had been listening to that Jesus up on the hill had passed through on their way home and ebbed away through the village streets it had begun. It had started with the poorest families in the village, those who were not expecting to eat tonight and then spread to others too. People would look out through their doors to see the crowd as it left, only to find a gift at their feet. Little cries had gone up from this street and that as people had found a basket of bread and fish at their doors. The fish was glistening and fresh and the bread so new as if it had just been baked. And that, he would say, before picking up his cup again, is how the party began. We offer up our lives A living sacrifice Pouring out our gifts of thanks and praise This is your holy hymn High still, joining with all heaven to acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Holy, Thank you, Richard Littledale. He'll be back in a few weeks' time in a prison cell, asking himself, what happened next? And now it's notice board time, with news of lots of Harvest Thanksgiving services where everyone will be made most welcome. And we start with this afternoon. This Sunday, Balagheri Chapel have their harvest service this afternoon at half past two. Tomorrow evening, Monday the 9th, at 7pm, Balagheri will have their usual short service, followed by a sale of all the harvest produce that's been donated. Bride Methodist Chapel have a harvest service this afternoon at half past four, which will be led by Mrs Pauline Corlett. The Sunday school children will take part and the service will be followed by afternoon tea. The Cool Methodist Chapel have their Harvest Festival starting this evening with a service at half past six when the preacher will be the Reverend Dr Janet Corlett. Tomorrow evening, Monday the 9th, there'll be a hot pot supper in the Cool Hall, followed by a quiz. Monday evening begins at seven o'clock and the cost is £10. Everyone's welcome and the Cool Chapel is easy to find on Cool Road, close to its junction with Vicarage Road on the edge of the Isle of Man Business Park. Also this evening, the Mariners' Choir will be in Balabeg Methodist Chapel as they celebrate their harvest. Reverend Sean Turner will preach. The service is at the usual time of half past six and it'll be followed by supper. The well-established and very popular Café Lingo that helps anyone who may not have English as their first language has started something new. Café Lingo Tots, a weekly meeting for parents and preschool children. It's fun, free and friendly and it's every Friday morning in the Prom Church on the Promenade here in Douglas. Open from 10 until half past 11 every Friday morning. And if you're not completely sure which is the Promenade Church, it's the one nearest to Paparazzi on the Prom and there is always a big Café Lingo banner outside. 
Looking ahead to next Sunday the 15th, and there'll be a traditional harvest celebration in Crosby Methodist Church, starting at 11 o'clock, with a warm welcome for all. Also next Sunday the 15th, St Olive's Church on Bowring Road in Ramsey, opposite the Cottage Hospital, have even song with the Cathedral Choir, next Sunday afternoon at half past three, with refreshments served afterwards. St Bridget's Bride Parish Church invite you to their harvest service next Sunday evening at half past six. Also at half past six next Sunday evening, the Mariners Choir will be in Baldrine Methodist Hall. And again, it's a harvest celebration led by Reverend Steve Ingrell with supper and community hymn singing after the service. And that's all that we have time for now. But I'll be back later in our virtual lounge tonight at nine with a mix of easy listening music, your requests and your dedications. And I'd love you to join me if you can. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week and a very good morning. The Nation Station